God's grace, his mercy, and his peace be with you today from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today is Stewardship Sunday, and uh, this morning I'd like to talk with you about a question you may have, how much should I give? That is, how much should I give to the Lord of what he has given to me? Have you ever asked this of yourself? Some would say, give all. Unbelievers would say, give nothing. Well, is it all, or is it nothing, or is it something in between? What's the Lord ask? What's he require of me? How much should I give? What would please him? Of course, there are all different kinds of offerings, right? We talked about this last week. You can give him of your money, your treasures. You can also give of your time, your talents, your heart, your soul, your strength, your praises, your thanksgivings. But today, as it's Stewardship Sunday, I'd like to focus with you especially on money, on your financial gifts. For God has a lot to say about money in the Bible. Did you know that in the uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke Gospels, uh, it's been said that one out of every six verses concerns your relationship with money. And in Jesus' 29 parables, 16 of them deal with your relationship with money. So God's pretty interested in your relationship with this. So the question I'd like to ask today with you, though, is how much should I give? And what will please the Lord? For this is ultimately our goal, right? To please him. So let's take a look then today at the scriptures and see what God would teach us today about how much should we give to the Lord? Let's begin in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 14. God says, verse 22, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed which comes forth from the field year by year and before the Lord your God in the place which he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstlings of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. Tithe. What does tithe mean? That's a word that means one-tenth. That's all it means. Ten percent. And so one-tenth of all your goods, the best tenth that you have, the first tenth is what God required in the days of the Old Testament. And what was his purpose? He says, so that all people might learn to fear the Lord always. But of course, Israel didn't do this, did they? They messed up, as they did with most things, and God continually had to rebuke them. And one of the places where he did that was in Malachi. Let's read what God says to them in Malachi chapter 3. God says, verse 10, Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you an overflowing blessing. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So what does God say to them? You're not giving a tithe, and look at what's happened. You're not even able to feed yourselves. Bring the tithe in, and I'll open the windows of heaven and supply your needs. As you honor me, so also I will return and honor you. As he also says in Proverbs 3, verse 5, honor, uh, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, first fruits. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. For who gives 
you power to get wealth anyway. It's God, right? And so he says, honor me, and I will supply your needs as well. But now we come to a question, don't we? This was the Old law, Testament law, one-tenth, 10%. But now we come to this question, does the law apply to us? Does it apply to Christians in the New Testament days? Does it apply to you? Well, to understand this, I think we ought to go to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas, uh, in this chapter, were going up to Jerusalem to decide with a council of the apostles and other church leaders about whether or not Gentiles who were coming to faith had to keep the Old Testament law, and especially circumcision. But also, what other aspects of the Old Testament law should the Gentiles be required to observe? And during the course of that council, Peter stood up in Acts chapter 15 and said to the brethren, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? In other words, he was saying, we Jews have not even been able to keep the law. Why now are we placing it upon the Gentiles? And James, uh, who is really the leader of the church in Jerusalem, Jesus' own brother and apostle said, Brethren, listen to me. My judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. So that was the council, predominantly to decide about circumcision, but also Old Testament law. How much should the Gentiles, how much should you be required to observe? And the tithe is not mentioned there. And in fact, that word tithe only occurs eight times in the entire New Testament. In 243 pages of my Bible, it only occurs eight times. Uh, five of those in the letter to the Hebrews, three in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And there Jesus says things like this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And there is no command in the New Testament for Christians to tithe. And so I want to ask, if the tithe were required as a law for New Testament Christians in the New Covenant with Christ, why then is it mentioned nowhere in the New Testament, anywhere in these scriptures? And therefore I say to you that the tithe is not a law or commandment applying to us. Now, next point though. Does that mean then that God's not concerned anymore with what you give to him? With his offerings of his people? Well, if God was concerned in the days of the old covenant, the lesser one about his offerings of his people, how much more concerned is he in the days of the new about your offerings to him? And although I believe the tithe is not a law for us New Testament Christians, nevertheless, I'd say the principles of the, of the tithe that were behind it definitely do apply to us. And what are those principles? The principle of the tithe is this, namely, that we are to give to God sacrificially the best of what we have in honor and love and thanksgiving to him. In order that, 
We might, as it said there, to learn to fear the Lord always, to trust in him, to know that he's the one who provides for our needs, to look for his provision, to support the ministry of the word, and to help others, and to increase joy all around. For the principle behind the tithe was that God was teaching the world in its immaturity, in its childhood, about the importance of giving and how that brings joy to God, to others, and to, your, to yourselves. And this, I'll tell you, is the New Testament principle, the eternal principle that we Christians are called by God to live by. For Jesus told us a parable about money. He said, the land of a rich man brought forth plentifully. And he said to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? I'll tell you what I'll do. I will build more tire around my barns and build larger ones and there I'll store all my grain and my goods. Uh, but, and I'll say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool. God said to him, God doesn't have a very thunderous voice today. God said to him, fool, this day your soul is required of you. And these things that you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Friends, God wants you rich. But he wants you rich toward him. You're poor if you hoard to yourself, if you're greedy, if you keep the best for yourselves. And you refuse to share and give abundantly and bless. Because by giving abundantly, you're rich toward God. And what does it mean to be rich toward him? It means simply to this, to give to him and to give to others. Is that so hard? You know, I often say, you know, you know uh, this isn't rocket science. Well, I, don't, I can't say that with you. A lot of you are rocket scientists. But this is very simple. This is what it is in his kingdom. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also give us all things with him? Do you notice something here about God? Give, gave, give, gave. This is our God. And this is what he wants us to be like. So don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume, but in heaven, where thieves don't break in and steal. For Jesus warns us, he can't serve two masters. Either you'll be devoted to the one and love the other, or you'll be, uh, hate the one and despise the other, or something like that. Hang on. <laughs> the, I read that wrong, okay. But the point is, you can't serve God and money, Jesus says. And Jesus one day was sitting down opposite the treasury, and all these rich people were putting in, out of their abundance, large sums. And he saw a poor widow come in and put two little copper coins in. And Jesus says, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the living that she had. Was this woman rich in Jesus' estimation? You bet you. She was rich. And God wants you rich in the same way. For she gave her all to the Lord. Which leads us back to our question for today. How much should we give to the Lord? We're going to give our pledges. We're going to give our offerings. You'll be have an opportunity to do this in a few minutes. How much? Well, 
Uh, should it be 2%, 3%, 5%, 10%, 100%? Well, of course, we're to give like this widow with our whole heart and with all that we are. Does that mean that you give away everything you have? Does that mean you give up your house and you don't retain property or that you don't provide for your family? I'd say no. Uh, that may be the case with a few people. God calls to that. But uh, I don't believe God calls you to that. How much then should you give? I'll tell you the answer is in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, where Paul says this. The point is this. He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So how much should you give to the Lord? Answer from God, whatever you can give cheerfully. Whatever you can give cheerfully. That word in the Greek, cheerfully, is uh, uh, hilaros, from which we get hilarity, happy, cheerful, joyful, of a quality of genuine benevolence. And we're not to give reluctantly or under compulsion. The word reluctantly in the Greek is lupe, which means physical pain, suffering or distress, mental or spiritual sorrow, anguish, grief or anxiety or with a grieved spirit, reluctantly and grudgingly. And you're not to give under compulsion, God says. That word is anagke, which means out of necessity, out of compulsion, as by force, constraint, compelling obligation. Does any of these apply to you when you give your offering to the Lord, to this church, or wherever? Do they apply to you today when you will give your offering to the Lord? or turn in your pledge for the next year. Jack Benny, the comedian, was once accosted by a thief who came up to him and said, your money or your life? There was a long pause, and he said, didn't you hear me, man? Your money or your life? And he says, don't rush me. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. <laughs> Not reluctantly or under compulsion. It, does it grieve you and say, I know i got to give something to the Lord I'll fork it over. Here's, here's my offering. You know what? God is not interested in that offering. If you're going to give reluctantly or under compulsion or with physical anguish and pain as you reach into your pocket and hand to the Lord, I say keep your money. And more importantly, God says keep your money. In fact, if any one of you is out there today planning on giving a million dollars to the church this day, I commend you and say to you myself and from the Lord, keep your money. We don't need it. And I'm not going to tell you to put it in the pastor's discretionary or retirement fund. <laughs> that money is of no benefit to me if you give it to me, to the church, to God, or to yourself. No benefit. God is not pleased with your offerings uh, reluctantly, under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And what pleases the Lord is faith, and a cheerful, thankful, and loving heart. Amen? Amen? And why? Because God wants us to be like him. You've heard the old adage, right? Like father, like son. He's our father. We're his sons and daughters. He wants us to be like him. And God himself is this way. 
You've heard, he loved the world that he gave his son. Will he not also give us all things with him? Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life. That's what it is in the kingdom, to give to each other. There was once a father who said to his son, uh, uh, try to give him a lesson about being a cheerful giver, and he gave to his, little, his son a quarter and a dollar and said, when you go to church today, put, uh, decide which one you want to put in the collection plate and keep the other for yourself. And after church, the father asked the son, well, which one did you put in? And the son said, I put in the quarter. I was about to put in the dollar, but the guy in the pulpit said I should be a cheerful giver. And I thought I'd give him the most to cheer to keep the most for myself. I want to challenge you today to think about that. Is it really going to give you greater cheer to keep the best for yourself? Really? I know we're all feeling that. But is it better to give the best to the Lord. I'll tell you the principle and the blessing and the truth is from God that he who gives the best and sacrificially at some cost to yourself is the one who has the most joy. So you give because you're a cheerful giver, but also your giving produces good cheer in you. For Martin Luther said, I've tried to keep things in my hands and I've lost them all, but what I've given into God's hands I still possess. C.S. Lewis said, I don't believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. Hmm. And David, once when he was buying a field from Ornan, the Jebusite, to sacrifice to the Lord on it, Ornan wanted to give it to him for free. And David said, no, but I'll buy it from you for the price. For I will not offer to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Think about that. To give cheerfully, the best is to give sacrificially. More than we can spare, that's really the best because the better the sacrifice, the more cost of pain to yourself, the greater the gift. If I give to you what I don't even need, it's not really a gift. If I give to you what's precious to me, the more precious to me it is, the better the gift, and the better the gift, the better the increase of joy. And guess what? When, God, when you give to God, God promises you something, saying, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God wants you free to give. And he says, I'm the giver of every good gift, and I want you to be like me. And let's just take a moment to consider what inspires us to be cheerful givers as we close. What inspires me and you and all the world to be a cheerful giver is knowing that he's in charge, we're not providing for ourselves, he is, but it's the gospel. That once again, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Is that sacrificial giving or what? At great cost to himself? The most, the best. He gave the best to you so that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, should not perish but have eternal life. And he gave his son cheerfully to you. No one was not under compulsion, not reluctantly, not with great pain and sorrow of his heart, but because he wanted to. This is what the kingdom is like into which you've been born for all eternity. Like father, like son, be like your father for even, or, and be like your brother. For even the son came, came of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. So that by his poverty, 
we might become rich in the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit in the kingdom of heaven and God's promise to be with you and ultimately one day in all physical things as well. For he's promised to you the meek shall inherit the earth, the, the world, the cosmos, all things. Will he not also give us all things with him? So how much should you give to the Lord? God doesn't give you a percentage. You shouldn't feel guilty if you don't get up to a certain point or, or uh, proud if you do. But rather, God's given you his will. God's given you his desire, made known to you, that we're to give our best with a whole heart, filled with good cheer at his precious gift in Jesus Christ, and for the love of our neighbor as he first loved us. Yes, he didn't, who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also give us all things with him? Conclude with this word from 1 Chronicles 29. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. Amen. Now, guess what? We get to see God pour out his treasures and open up the windows of heaven upon Benjamin Jensen and blessing him with a new birth in the Holy Spirit. I'd ask the Jensen family uh, to come forward, um, especially Benjamin, and also parents and sponsors, and anyone else who uh, needs to get up to see. Okay, Don. 